C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit their website at cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. It's a great pleasure today to welcome our guest, Carrie Davies, Principal Clinical Scientist and Visiting Research Fellow, Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust and University of Leeds, and Dr. Mark Wilcox, MD Professor of Medical Microbiology, University of Leeds Consultant, Head of Microbiology, Research and Development, Leeds Teaching Hospitals, NHS Trust. Carrie Davies and Dr. Wilcox join us today to discuss accurate diagnosis of C. difficile infection. Both guests are dedicated professionals in the C. difficile community and have played an instrumental part with their colleagues in raising C. diff awareness and through their research and development worldwide are making a big difference. At this time, we'd like to welcome both guests, uh, Carrie and Dr. Wilcox, to the program. Welcome you and thank you so much for being here with us today. Hello, good to be here. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much. Carrie, I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, can you take a moment and just um, let our global listeners know a little bit more about you? Absolutely. So, um, as you said, I'm the principal clinical scientist um, for our group, which is the Healthcare Associated Infections Research Group in Leeds. Um, I've been working there for over 20 years in research. And in the last 10 years, that's been particularly focused on C. difficile um, and particularly with a focus on diagnostics. And I've done everything from um, all of the laboratory testing itself, um, so that's playing with a lot of poo over those years, um, to managing very large-scale studies, which is what I do now. Wonderful. And thank you so much, Carrie, for being with us. And Dr. Wilcox, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our global listeners? Sure. Um, I'm um, a, a medical doctor um, who's um, been working for about 20 years um, in uh, the field of healthcare-associated infection, but, but in particular in, in C. diff infection. And um, for much of that time, um, I've been uh, building a, a research team um, in Leeds um, and Kerry's a, a key member of that team. And we, we've done a lot of work on C. diff for years, um, uh, including the, the diagnosis, treatment, prevention um, of C. diff. Um, I, I run the, um, the C. diff surveillance um, service for, uh, for England, uh, and I'm the lead on C. diff for, for Public Health England, which is effectively our version of CDC. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilcox. Um, you had mentioned that you've been involved with C. diff research for almost 20 years. And Dr. Wilcox, um, why did you become interested in the diagnosis of C. difficile infections? Yeah, that, 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 that's a good question, Nancy. So, um, so way back um, before I, I became um, you know, a medical consultant and I was looking for areas to, to get interested in as a, as a researcher, um, I, um, I remember looking at, at trying to get all the evidence together for, um, uh, for, for how best to manage C. diff infection. And, uh, of course, the... The starting point, if you're going to look at whether one treatment is better or worse than another for treating C. diff infection, the starting point is, um, well, how do you diagnose C. diff infection? How confident are you that someone really does have C. diff infection? Um, and so I, I looked at all the evidence um, 
that uh, for, for the different ways of diagnosing C. diff, that's one of, one of the many problems with C. diff is that, that there's lots of different ways that you can, in theory, make a diagnosis of C. diff infection. But, it, but it's rapidly become, um, it rapidly came, became clear to me then, all those years ago, and it still holds true today, that some of those methods uh, are, are, are much better than, than others. And they, they all have the pros and cons. But, but it, the, the key thing about the, the, the diagnosis, diagnosing cedic infection is that, you know, with, with many infections, you, you, um, doctors like to think, we all like to think that we can use our, our clinical judgment and, you know, if we suspect an infection and a particular bug, we like to think that we're going to be right more often than we're wrong. Well, with C. diff, the bad news is that you're wrong far more than you're right. So if you suspect C. diff infection, if you're really, really good at doing that, you, you only about one in 10 patients, possibly even less than that, will truly be proven to have C. diff infection. So the great majority of people who you suspect have got C. diff infection, who you order a test on, um, uh, won't have C. diff infection. So we rely heavily on the laboratory tests. And if you choose the wrong test or the laboratory has chosen the wrong test for you, then um, it, it, just because you get a positive, that, that may make, make it either very likely that someone has C. diff infection or it, it might only make it you know, about 50% heads or tails call whether someone truly has C. diff infection. And of course, you know, no one wants to be on the end of a, of a heads or tails 50% call of whether they really do have an infection or not, even when you've done an laboratory test. So, so that, that's how I, I, I got into the whole area. And uh, you know, it's a long story, um, which, which is still continuing to this day. Absolutely, and that is quite interesting, Dr. Wilcox, and also quite disturbing for a lot of patients um, who have been retested and with a PCR or a different matter of testing and, and still coming up positive. So really does make you wonder. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Carrie, can you share with us the involvement in research into the diagnosis of C. difficile infection that you're involved in? Absolutely. Um, so... One of the main things that kicked us off um, into looking at the diagnostics um, for CDES was that we were asked to do an evaluation of all the toxin assays that were currently on the market at that time. Um, and this was in 2008, 2009. And there were, in the UK, there were nine of those assays. And we compared these assays um, together, these different tests, and we compared them to gold standard methods that we can use as well to detect toxin and the organism and uh, what we found was that there was a very large um, difference between all of these assays despite the fact that they were all commercial assays on the market and that some of them um, as, as Mark has already indicated actually were as good as flipping a coin that you know they gave you a 50% accuracy um, so from there, we then moved on to trying to determine the optimal way of diagnosing CDES. Um, at this point in the UK, we still used those single test um, toxin assays and we, we'd shown that they weren't very good. So we then looked to um, see how we could do better than that. So the study that we did um, was and still is, in fact, the largest study um, ever done to compare CDF testing methods and we tested 12,500 fecal samples for that study and it was multi-center as well and it's very important with comparison studies like this to have multi-center um, sam samples collected and that it's very large numbers because this reduces the bias that can be caused by testing a single um, population type, for example, if you only did the testing in, say, a cancer centre. So we did that study. We determined the best methodology, which we'll talk about in a bit later. Um, and following that, the guidelines in the UK were changed. 
which then led to the guidelines in Europe being changed, and they've also influenced the US guidelines too. And we continue to compare different types of assays as they become available. That is part of our daily work that we do. But more recently, we've been leading studies across European countries to compare how these different tests are being used and when they're being used and how potentially this can lead to cases that are missed or are misdiagnosed, um, how using these different tests can influence the reported number of cases at a centre, and that's often very important because centres can be measured against the number of cases that they have and how well they've handled those cases. Um, and also it can impact on the results of clinical trials for new medicines if you don't have patients recruited with the right diagnostic method and truly have C. difficile infection, then that could water down the effect that you have from any medicine that you're trying to treat that infection with. And then finally, um, we're involved in developing and evaluating new tests um, for C. difficile infection as well. Okay, Carrie, thank you so much for explaining all of that. We really appreciate it. And at this time, we are already going to break for a commercial. When we return, we will return with Dr. Wilcox and Carrie Davies and discussing an accurate diagnosis of C. difficile infection. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guests, Carrie Davies and Dr. Mark Wilcox, here to discuss accurate diagnosis of C. difficile infection. Welcome back to the program, Carrie and Dr. Wilcox. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. You are welcome. And Dr. Wilcox, I'm going to ask you first, if you don't mind, if you can explain the different ways to diagnose a C. difficile infection. Okay, so the, you can either look for um, the C. diff bug itself. You can try growing that bug. You can use tests that just look 
for part of the bug. Um, the, uh, you can also look for and use a test that will look for, when I say part of the bug, that, that uh, could be just the, the outside of the bug, but it could be part of its DNA. Sounds technical, but the important bit about if you do look for the DNA of a bug, the, um, the bit that makes sense to look for is that it's a bit of DNA that, that codes the toxin because it's the seed of toxin that causes the disease, causes the diarrhea, the inflammation of the, of the large intestine. So what's happened in recent years, and, and Kerry mentioned this earlier, is that the tests have been developed that look for that bit of the DNA of the bug that codes the toxin. And, and that, that sort of makes sense, and, and these, these tests are, are very, very good at, at picking up whether, whether those bugs with, with the DNA for toxin are there or not. The problem with that approach is that just because a bug has got some DNA that, that says it can make toxin, it doesn't mean that in all instances that bug is actually truly making that toxin is, and, and the, the toxin is going on to produce symptoms and disease in a patient. So the, the other main way of, of, the other main series of tests um, that, that to diagnose C. diff are, are to look for the toxin itself, C. diff toxin. So rather than looking for the, the DNA that, 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 that says the bug in theory can produce toxin, actually look for the toxin itself. And you look for the toxin in, in, in the feces, in the diarrheal fecal sample. And the, the advantage of looking for that toxin is that if you find it there, then, then there's, no, there's no dispute as to whether the bug is producing toxin or not. It, it must be producing the toxin because it's there. You've found it. So caught red-handed, if you like. So, so that's why... Um, uh, my, we believe, and, and, a, and a lot of increasing proportion of people believe that the best way of diagnosing C. diff is not not to look for a bit of the bug, not to look for the DNA that, that says it could produce toxin, but instead to actually look for the toxin itself. And. Uh, I think, you know, when I explain it like that, hopefully it, 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 it sounds sensible. You might think, well, well, why doesn't everybody just do the sensible thing and look for the toxin that's causing the disease? Well, yeah, to cut a long story short, the, the, the tests to look for the toxin aren't perfect. So they may miss some patients who really do have the toxin. It's, it's there, but, but the tests aren't good enough. To, to find the toxin. So the, the other tests that, you know, that the other camp prefer, you know, where they, where they might look for a bit of the bug or the, or the DNA that, that codes the toxin, they say, oh, it's better to use one of those tests. So you get this argument, this to and fro between the believers of one testing approach versus another. But, but I think the key thing that, that a patient wants to know is when a test is done, how likely is that positive result meant to... Um, how likely is it that that positive result really means that, that they've got C. diff infection? Or how likely is the negative result to mean that they absolutely do not have C. diff infection? And, that, and that, if you then start to talk about the tests in those terms... We, we, that's where, when, when, when earlier we said that, that it may be a 50-50 call, even if your test is positive, you know, that, that's the scenario which I certainly wouldn't want to be on the end of if I was a patient. I, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I've got a positive result, and then I'm left thinking, well, 
uh, half the time this positive result may really mean I've got through this infection, but the other half of the time the positive result doesn't mean I've got through this infection. And that, that's not really a lot of use to anybody. So, so you, that's again why why we think that you should be using tests that that really push the doctor into being much more certain that yes, you really have got serious infection or no, you really don't. And but the last thing I'd say is that you know that remember I said uh, earlier that that the great majority of people who you suspect could have serious infection end up not having serious infection, and that's because you know, diarrhea, the, the cardinal symptom of serious infection is a very, very common symptom, and the, the fact is there are far, far more causes of diarrhea than, than simply just serious infection, so that's why the majority of the time it's one of those other causes of diarrhea, it's not serious infection. So again, it means that a test you choose and therefore the likelihood that a positive or the negative result really does mean positive or negative um, is, is crucial. Thank you, Dr. Wilcox. And isn't there a single test for diagnosing C. difficile infections that everyone can use? Well, it, it would be great if there was. Um, uh, and... Um, the problem is there isn't um, because there isn't, you know, that this ideal test that you can do on its own and it will be 100% accurate. It, whenever it's positive, it really means, yep, see if infection is there. And whenever it's negative, it, it means, no, it's absolutely not there. And um, as I say, it, 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 is a, it is a bit of a trade-off um, as, to, um, as to which testing approach you use, but... But uh, what you can do is you can increase the likelihood that the, that the test result is, is, um, is accurate by being careful in who you test, making sure that um, they haven't got another good explanation for diarrhea. And so let, let me give you a, a very common example there is that if, you know, particularly in older patients, um, and particularly in older patients who are ill, maybe lying in bed more than they would do normally, they become constipated, the bowels become blocked. And so what do you do in that scenario? You take some medicine to, to unblock the bowels, a laxative. And, and usually what happens in that scenario is that eventually when the laxative starts to work, that, sh that comes up as, as some diarrhea, run loose stools. In that scenario, if you test someone, you think, ah, oh, oh, right, they may have seed of infection, then because older people are more likely to be colonized by seed it means that you may get a positive result in that patient for CDF, they've got diarrhea, and you put one plus one together and you get the answer two. And in fact, the answer isn't two. They haven't got CDF infection at all. They've been taking a laxative. They've got some, some diarrhea because of the laxative, and it's nothing to do with CDF infection. So that, again, that, that's, that's why I say it's really important that, that you rule out other common, clear, reasons as to why someone might, you know, might have the diarrhea. And um, if, if those reasons are there, then ideally don't test to see this infection. Okay, you've got to be careful that, that you know, someone who could be taking a laxative could, yeah, truly have see this infection, but the majority of people in that scenario will not. So careful selection of who you test makes the test result more accurate in the end. You can interpret that result more clearly. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Wilcox. And Carrie, we have two minutes before we go to break, and we'd love to know from you if you can explain the approach to diagnosing C. difficile infection and how it differs maybe in some countries and some settings. Absolutely. So, um, there are European-wide guidelines and there are American guidelines. Um, 
they differ slightly. So in Europe, the guidelines suggest that you use a two-stage algorithm based on detection of the bug first. Um, uh, and if that is positive, you then look for the toxin um, using one of the toxin detection assays. And this is what we believe is to be the most optimal method of detecting, um, as Mark said, true cases of CDI. That test method is also recommended in the U.S., um, but there is also some allowance for using single um, PCR or NAT tests for molecular detection of the toxin genes if you've carefully selected the people that you're testing. And that's called diagnostic stewardship. Um, however, a lot of diagnostic stewardship is based on um, what are known to be sort of classical risk factors for C. diff. For example, um, if the patient is elderly. Um, but this can lead to some people not being tested who truly do have CDI. If it's a younger patient, that can happen. And we've particularly seen this in some of the studies that we've done um, in Italy particularly, they selectively test older patients, and so those younger patients are getting missed um, through this diagnostic stewardship. So as Mark said, you do need to be careful about who you test and that they haven't got other causes for diarrhea, but also that you're not excluding people from being tested um, just because they're based on risk criteria. Okay. Thank you so much, Carrie. And at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing accurate diagnosis of C. difficile infection with our guests, Carrie Davies and Dr. Mark Wilcox. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everyone, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guests, Carrie Davies and Dr. Mark Wilcox, here to discuss accurate diagnosis of C. diff infection. Thank you so much, Carrie and Dr. Wilcox, for joining us today. I know you're there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I am going to ask a a brief question here before we um, continue. Uh, We were talking before break about um, the best way to diagnose. Uh, And um, Dr. Wilcox, right now we have patients who are being tested here in the U.S., especially uh, one day after treatment, seven days after their last um, antibiotic treatment or even 14 days, um, and if they're having a recurrence. Is that the the most prime way to be tested at this time or even over in um, your your area or in other countries? Okay, Nancy. Yeah, I, I, I've heard 
heard this issue um, and been asked about it many times. And the, 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 a lot depends to, to answer your question on, on, on which test are we talking about because it, it, certainly in, in the US at the moment, probably still the most commonly used test or often used on its own is, is a PCR test. So one of the tests that's looking for the bit of DNA that codes for toxin. So mm-hmm. it's very good at finding whether that's there or not, but that doesn't mean, when it's, when it's positive, it doesn't always mean that, that someone genuinely has serious infection. So let, let's, let's assume, and this would normally be the case, that that's the first test that someone's had to, to get them the diagnosis of serious infection. They get treated, and their symptoms may, may stop or, 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 or they may not, the symptoms may come back and then that would be, you know, it could be one day, two days, a week, whatever, uh, after they've, they've finished their treatment, typically a course of Vanco. The problem is you, you then go and do another PCR test. There's, first of all, there's some doubt about the accuracy of that first result. You know, does that really mean serious infection? But, it, but in someone, let, let's say that, so there's two possibilities. One is that they didn't have serious infection in the first place. You do the test again. The test is almost certainly still going to be positive. If it was positive the first time or positive the second time, uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, if you didn't have serious the first infection the first time, then, then you can't, by definition, have a recurrence. The other scenario is that the first test result really, really did mean you had serious infection. However... Again, it's still very likely that, that, that your follow-up test, that second test, will still be positive regardless of whether you truly have C. diff recurrence or not. And that's because people who, who've got C. diff on board, whether it's causing infection symptoms or not, that, that bug tends to stay around for, um, for you know, days possibly weeks, even in the face of, of treatment. And so certainly for the first few days after, after someone's been treated, it, 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 if you do one of these PCR tests, it may still be positive. And so you can be fooled into thinking that those, those symptoms that have come back or they've never fully gone away, that they represent pseudic infection and, and or recurrence of pseudic infection. So what you do, you give them another course of antibiotics and the scenario plays it out again and then you, know, you might have another course of antibiotics. And before you know where you are, you could be in, in um, you know, pseudic multiple recurrence scenario. At least that's the assumption and then, and then the, the question turns to, should you have, someone says, you know, suggests having an FNT. So because using a test that, that isn't fully accurate for real serious infection, if you use that and use it again and again, you can be fooled into going down a path that says serious recurrence, indeed serious multiple recurrences, when you're really not on that path at all, and there's, and there's possibly other explanations for why you've got this persistent and or recurrent diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Wilcox. And Carrie, would you mind sharing some new ways, or, or are there any new ways to diagnose C. difficile infections? So there are some new tests being developed. Um, there are uh, a couple of tests being developed that are a more sensitive version um, of the toxin detection test that we currently have. Uh, and these can detect smaller amounts of toxin in the stool samples um, than we currently can. And that's compared to both current commercial methods, but also the gold standard method that we use um, for detecting toxin. So that would suggest that we can, we can find these smaller, lower levels of toxin in these patients. But what we don't know yet is how significant that is. 
So we don't have any evidence currently about um, the clinical implications of having such low levels of toxin in stool. Um, and we don't know how sick these patients are. So we need to um, better evaluate these new tests. Uh, and then if appropriate, um, they'd be added into our diagnostic armory, if you like. In addition, we're looking at sort of tests that don't necessarily diagnose um, the infection itself but tells you more about the patient. So we're sort of moving more slightly into personalised medicine. Um, so there are tests that can look at the amount of inflammation in the gut. Um, and there's some um, evidence to show that this correlates with the amount of toxin that a person has. So it may be that we can use these additional adjunctive assays um, to also evaluate um, the status of a patient to make sure that they get the right diagnosis and therefore the best treatment option. Okay. And Carrie, to add to that, is this how you predict um, that maybe an issue will develop or change in the next five years? Well, I think, I think generally um, laboratory diagnostics are trying to move towards a more personalized medicine approach um, for uh, you know, all um, infection types. Um, but I think that if we can evaluate properly these new diagnostic methods for detecting toxin and do more work with these adjunctive tests, that potentially they offer some um, hope towards going towards this more personalized medicine approach for people. Okay. And Carrie, staying with you on the uh, research of this and the uh, diagnostics, what gaps do you feel currently exist in the research of CDI diagnostics that could be further explored? Well, I think it's important to remember when we're talking about diagnosis that we're not necessarily just talking about how people are tested, which we have discussed mostly, but also who is tested. And from that point of view, we know very little about um, diagnosis in the community. we done some research recently that's shown that 50% of cases in the community never even got tested for CDF. So the clinical suspicion is very low in the community. And I think there's a lot more work to do around how diagnosis occurs in patients who develop their symptoms um, outside of the hospital setting. And in addition to that, we know very little about patients in nursing homes. So this is potentially a group of patients that are at risk from CDF, um, especially the more elderly and frail. And we don't know enough about who gets tested and when they get tested and how they get tested. So I think those are areas that we really need to look at. Wonderful. Thank you, Carrie, for sharing all of that information. Um, and Dr. Wilcox, before we go to break, um, can you test patients to determine Who's at increased risk of developing a C. diff infection? Yeah, that's a good question, Nancy. So um, we, uh, the short answer is yes, but it's not as you know, it, it's not as simple as saying, "Well, therefore, let, let's go ahead and you know do the test." So let me explain. So with, um, we know that if you carry, if you're colonised by one of the um, C. diff strains that, that can produce toxin because the, the, the C. diff strains fall into two camps, those that can produce toxin and those that cannot. So if you're colonized by, by one of the ones that can produce toxin, you are, we're now fairly confident that, that you're more likely to develop C. diff infection um, than somebody who is not colonized. However, your, the absolute le- level of risk for, for the person who is colonized by one of these toxigenic strains um, is still um, probably single-digit figures, so percentage figures. So in other words, way less than 10% risk that you would develop C. diff infection. So we can do the test. We could say, well, yeah, you're more likely than this other person to develop C. diff infection, but that risk is actually very low overall. And so, you know, what, what would we do with that result? 
Um, would we give you a, a medicine uh, to try and prevent the C. diff infection occurring? Uh, well, two problems. One, there isn't a medicine available yet that's been proven to work in that scenario. And the other problem, of course, is that because you're, the overall level of risk um, of developing the C. diff infection is, is way less than 10%, it means that for every 10 patients you would give this non-existent medicine to, um, at least nine of them don't need the medicine. It wouldn't be doing any good because they're never going to develop the infection in the first place. So, so what, what we need to do um, is although you know, we, we, we've, we, we've moved a bit closer to be able to identify who's at increased risk of C. diff infection, there are one or two other approaches we could do as well, but they're, they're equally non, um, non-predictive. You know, they, they, they don't give you a high degree of certainty that, that C. diff is truly around the corner. So we, we need better tests to do that. And that's, you know, Kerry's mentioned personalized medicine. So it's, it's really doing the tests that's safe for, for you, for this patient, and um, what's their level of risk. So we need better tests to do that. And some of those will, in the end, I'm sure, will prove to be sort of ge- genetic testing of the individual to say, well, have you got the right genes that, that, that put you, uh, that, that make you relatively resistant to C. diff, or, or, or are those genes missing? Have you, you know, have you got the wrong genes? And we, we don't know what those are yet, but, but I think we will identify those in the future. And then once we've done that, then we can say, well, either hopefully we'll have developed some medicines to prevent C. diff infection, and there are vaccines available. And, and, um, and also we can then be very careful about how we use antibiotics in mm-hmm. a higher risk a higher C. diff risk patient because, of course, it's, it's the antibiotic use that often um, leads to C. diff infection. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wilcox. Right now, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing accurate diagnosis of C. difficile infection with Carrie Davies and Dr. Mark Wilcox. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. <music> Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
for listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for listening today. And it's our pleasure to reintroduce our guests today, Carrie Davies and Dr. Mark Wilcox, here to discuss accurate diagnosis of C. difficile infections. Thank you so much again, Carrie and Dr. Wilcox, for joining us today. That's a pleasure, Nancy. It's been great. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We're so happy to have you here. And Carrie, before we close the program today, would you mind sharing some closing comments and um, your, some take-home messages that you want our listeners to take with them about diagnosis of C. difficile infections? Absolutely. So, um, first of all, we were just talking in the break um, about a new study that we're doing, which is called Combat CDI, um, which is looking at the burden of C. diff across the whole of Europe, um, but both in the hospital and out of the hospital. So, where we were talking about these possible gaps that we've got currently, um, we're hoping to really gain some information about um, community-based patients and also those that um, are just colonized as well as um, actually have true CDI infection. So hopefully we may be able to address some of those gaps um, that we mentioned before. I guess in closing, what I'd like to say about um, accurate diagnostics is that it's about using the right test on the right patient at the right time. And And I guess from my point of view, when we're talking about things like diagnostic stewardship, it's not assuming that all cases fit the typical risk factors for CDI and and therefore not excluding potential cases based on on traditional risk factors. Wonderful. And Kerry, we thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this information with our global listeners who are both patients, researchers, and families listening in. And we want to also ask um, Dr. Wilcox, before we leave the program today, would you be kind enough to share some closing comments and also share some information about the diagnosis of C. difficile infections? Okay, Nancy. So, so as um, for, for, for the listeners who, who've uh, followed all of the discussion today, you'll, you'll realize this isn't, um, this isn't a subject for the faint-hearted. It, it is a complex area. Um, at least it, it, it appears complex um, uh, when, you, when you first hear it discussed in the, in the way that we've done. But, but actually, it, it, it can boil down to being, being relatively straightforward. And particularly if you as a patient um, know the right questions to ask. Because, you know, ultimately that's what, what you want to know. You, you want to be certain whether the label, the diagnosis that you've been given is accurate or not. There's no such thing as a perfect test and therefore there's no such thing as a perfect diagnosis. But there is such a thing as a a likely diagnosis um, um, or or, or a diagnosis that really has has quite a, a substantial amount of uncertainty about it. So, what I think is perfectly reasonable to do as, as a patient is to ask your, your doctor um, how certain is that result, whether it's a positive result or a negative result, how certain is the doctor that that truly means seeded infection? And rather than just asking that question on its own without any context, what I would say first is I, I'd say, well, look, doctor, I, I, I've been you know, reading around on this subject and um, I'm aware that there's quite a few different ways of making a diagnosis of seedic infection. And I'm aware that, that, that um, just because a result is positive doesn't necessarily mean that I have got C. diff infection. So, um, in the, you know, knowing that, I need to know, um, because, I, you know, of all the tests that could be done, uh, you know, which one's been done here? And, and the crucial thing is how certain are you that, that this test result is accurate? Because, I, I, you know, I want to... 
I want to make the next decision, which is whether I have any treatment or whether I have treatment A or treatment B or whatever. And I want, I want to be as informed as I can um, before, I, before I decide what, you know, what, what treatment I, I should be taking. I, you know, I'm, I'm aware of all the, you know, the issues about antibiotic resistance and so on, so I don't want to be taking antibiotics unless I really need them. And or I don't want to be having an FNT unless um, there's good evidence that I, that I need one. So I, you know, if you could just boil the whole subject down into that, that perfectly reasonable question to, to ask your doctor, you know, how certain are you that this test result really, truly means pseudo-infection, then, then I think that will do two things. It will give you as a patient the confidence you need to make the, the decisions that come next. And it will also, you know, focus some minds of, of, of the doctors as well. But no, one's trying to, no one's trying to catch the doctor out, but it, you know, it's a, it, it, is a, it is a difficult area. And so by having a reasonable conversation, um, then I think we can push doctors and patients to getting closer to, to, to the accurate diagnosis of this infection that we all want. Exactly. And thank you, Dr. Wilcox, for sharing that because the last thing we want, and Carrie Davies, I know that you'll chime in on this too, is the last thing we want is to treat something we don't have. Correct? Yes. Absolutely, yes, of course not. And, um, exactly. and especially, um, it, it's not just treating an infection that you don't have, but potentially giving people extra antibiotics that could lead to um, antibiotic-resistant bugs developing as well so it's very important exactly exactly and all we can say right now is thank you so much we are at the end of the program and we want to thank you so much carrie davies and dr mark wilcox for joining us today we appreciate you being here and we appreciate your dedication and research and development and for all that you do for others and keeping everyone safe in environments worldwide so we say thank you good afternoon everybody Okay, thank you so much. And we want to also thank all of the members from the CETA Foundation. We thank everyone dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products, addressing C. difficile infection prevention treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. We ask you to look at the Clinical Trials in Progress tab on our website, cdifffoundation.org, and learn more about how you can get involved and um, address C. difficile infections by clinical trials for you and your loved ones. Please help them to help others to help you and we thank you very much for joining us today and as we say no none of us can do this alone all of us can do this together thank you so much for joining us we look forward to joining you next tuesday at 1 p.m eastern time thank you for tuning in this week for c diff spores and more be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.